I'm speaking today with Marwa Eldawini. Marwa is a native of Egypt, where she is an assistant lecturer at Mania University, from which she is currently on sabbatical leave. She did stints as a research scholar at University of Tartu in Estonia, and now at the Free University of Brussels in Belgium, VUB. Importantly, for the purposes of this conversation, she is also the founder and host of the Soft Robotics podcast, in my opinion, the premier forum for soft materials researchers on the internet. She has hosted conversations with renowned scientists in the field, such as George Whitesides and Alison Akamura, and is inspiring scientists at all ages with her message of inclusion and advocacy. So, welcome, Marwa, to Molecular Podcasting. First of all, thanks a lot for this introduction. Uh, I'm so grateful for being here on your podcast. It's such an honor to be here, and I'd like to thank you also for your podcast. I think it's a very good resource for students and scientists to... I'm so humbled to be in the podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, first, I wonder if you could tell the audience a little about your current position. Uh, the system in Egypt and Europe might be unfamiliar to some people in our audience. Yeah, sure. Uh, currently, I'm, I'm doing BHD uh, in, in soft robotics uh, that you mentioned at University of Brussels at VUB. And yeah, indeed, uh, the system in Egypt is different from Europe and US uh, because, as you mentioned, uh, I, I'm holding a position, which is tenured position at uh, at my university, and I'm on sabbatical leave. So yeah, the process is different because um, I left my home university because uh, I was seeking uh, opportunities just to maybe to learn more and having new experiences. So, and uh, also I I consider it I left it for personal and also professional reasons. So. It's different because here you have to uh, seek tenure after postdoc and it's kind of for me uh, a puzzle for me because I have been have this position but I never thought about tenure like something I to pursue so it is different for me but for me what my belief is I don't care about tenure to be honest uh, I have I, I don't mind to leave a tenure job as long as I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, or maybe if the beliefs not belong with, or not aligned with my beliefs. So, so when I see the discussion uh, about tenure, I understand how it's important. But for me, um, I know it's a risk. But um, I think the most important thing is to enjoy what you're doing, and that's what I'm doing right now. I sense a passion for science and communication and uh, artwork, which I hope we'll get to a little bit later. Um, but first, I'd like to ask you about. How did you develop your interest in science and robotics and soft robotics in particular? This is developed, I think, when I was second to school. My late mom, she always inspired me to work hard. And and to be honest, I had some kind of maybe imposter syndrome. Maybe I didn't believe in myself because I was the first engineer in my family. So it was for me, I, I was always want to do something engineering or companies. Or, and that's why my mom always pushed me uh, to believe in myself and I think she she was the biggest inspiration for me and I entered the faculty of engineering and interested in understanding or maybe I want to know something and yeah I just want to do something meaningful for the people so of course in, in, in the school and uh, I mean in bachelor degree I uh, of course I have a view about education system and that's something I want I hope we can change how the education system in, in undergrad and grad school as well. But I think uh, it all shaped me a lot to, to grasp interest. And basically I was interested in uh, aerospace engineering and I was really fascinated by 
uh, aerospace and how the aircraft is run and just as an engine and I even got training at uh, Egypt's uh, airport about uh, oh, wow. how oh, wow. the engine work so and and for only the first day in my training I was 19 and uh, at Egypt airport and my mom did it the same day and I couldn't go this training and that was um, I, I just was determined that I want to continue and uh, and I went to the training and then after I Again, I don't believe in system again. I was a top student, but I don't believe in top student again. I don't believe in grades and this system again, but that what happened back then. And, and I got employed as teaching assistant and after master's uh, also in, in anti-stealth technology, how we can detect the stealth aircraft, I got promoted as a lecturer. But if you told me that, uh, are you think that's, yeah, that's part of my, uh, my personality, but uh, now I don't believe in the system again about the grades or yeah, or the titles. I don't believe in that anymore. What did your parents do, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah, they both were teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, my neither of my parents are scientists either. My father is a tailor, and my mother is a librarian and uh, artist. Both of uh, them are retired, although uh, you know my mom can continue to do artwork uh, at home. What made you interested in public outreach and communication, and particularly the podcast? Of course, there's two aspects for that. First of all, I, when I was a kid, I think I was fascinated by the radio. When I'm listening to the host and, and I can see the audience say that we can see you, not listen to you. And that was fascinating to me, how the sound can, you can be mesmerized by the sound and, and makes you imagine something you never thought. And, and my mom also liked it so much, the radio, and I, I was always wanted to do something like hosting something when I was, as a kid. And never mind with that, I was really interested by BBC technology, podcast, and I was always wanted, I wanted to present something like that. I, I really loved that so much. But this is what like kept in the drawer and never been done. And I was always remember when I'm just taking my voice memo and just try to say something with my voice. Um, I, do, I, do, I don't say that I have a good voice, but at least uh, that something may have a, a strange feeling for me. But again, this is kept in the, in the drawer and until there's a story behind why I started the podcast itself. And maybe that's a uh, core point about why I started the podcast. Uh, so basically, uh, as I told you, I left uh, my position to get a, a PhD. And uh, it's also for me escape because for personal reasons that I, I couldn't really belong anymore in the place I was in so I, I it's like a new reborn I was reborn again where I I, I go it was in France by the way and uh, yeah I, I started working in, in in a group which I'm grateful I learned also from this group a lot so um, I was started working on a smart material which is ionic conductive polymer and um, my job is to simulate this material and and uh, as like any student, I, I was looking for the literature and trying to understand how to do modeling. And I looked at the model available and uh, all the model really doesn't capture the dynamics of this material. This material is high nonlinear and uh, anisotropic and, and viscous. I didn't find any of these uh, modeling techniques. Uh, so there's limitation. And I, the tool I was using for simulation was tailored for certain material. It was not tailored for viscoelastic material. And I think that's maybe the, the bottleneck here, how uh, maybe the conflict, not a conflict, but 
when you force it to work on something and you know there's something here so like uh, I tried to raise that to my supervisor that uh, this is something we can use this tool for this material and I was traveling to another city which is uh, away from the city I was in like two hours to do the experiment with the material and I felt in love with this material I'm honest with you when I'm going in the car I just I think about this material and but when I get because when I get actual experiments like characterization I I was like, this is, you have to understand how this material behaves. So the, so the reason for the podcast was to develop a, um, a broader pool of expertise uh, that was, av- than you had available to you? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, but I'm, I'm not saying that I'm expert in everything that's part of the story. Uh, uh, yeah, but long story short, I don't want it to go for more details. It ended up they didn't like how I, the lab resources was frozen that because of uh, I had this argument that of course there are many details but the argument uh, about that and and it ended up I, I, d- I just want to continue but it ended up that he said that I doubt uh, what you did although at this time I got two grants from top conferences time and I was really working hard but he I think the, he didn't like uh, maybe the argument or at, at this time I don't know that what happened but I was forced to leave and uh, and that was really maybe that's was for me a life-changing experience to be honest uh, because uh, I was by myself alone at this time and I didn't expect to that would happen and uh, yeah I I ended up that I have to leave uh, the lab and I was waiting two months to find uh, other institution to host me but I think this moment of forced being to leave because that's why I started the podcast. That's the reason why I started because uh, when someone undermines the center belief of, uh, of what you're doing, and he said to me, you will never ever uh, succeed in this field. You will not get an opportunity to be in this field. And, uh, and I think that was, yeah, that was hard. Uh, but I think what I remember at this time, I just, uh, I was believing in myself. I told them, that's, that's your opinion, but I believe in myself. And I think what, uh, what you did, you're expert in something. Because I learned a lot from this group, to be honest. I'm, I'm st- yeah, yeah, I still have a good relationship with engineer and student. But I told them, you're expert in that, and you're not expert in this material. And that was a struggle that even the podcast, how the material science should communicate with robotists and how we can merge the missing pieces. And I think it comes down that, that that's the issue of many students. I'm not the only one. I, I know there are many stories like that. Maybe I'm privileged to, to use the story today. But uh, I, I think that's something best to him off. It's like challenge. You are just nothing. And when I complained for, for that, the head of the school, she know that uh, uh, that uh, I have a grant. Uh, I got to grants. I was working hard, and I didn't have the most important thing. I didn't get a constructive feedback. And when you have doubt about work, you tell me why. And what's funny about that, and that's part of the story. There was another student, and he was very well known in the field, and wasn't allowed to defend his PhD. And he had that very important publication, and no one know about that. How many and years what? did he spend only to Four be? Years. Wow. Yeah. And and that's sad. I'm sorry. Maybe some people will hate to listen to that, but maybe I, I maybe after this podcast I will sound bad, but I'm sorry. I'm just telling what happened. 
uh, this student wasn't allowed to defend. And I had the option that if you want to continue in this work, you will not allowed to be defend like this guy. And, and that's like threatening that. Uh, and I thought that, OK, because I didn't want to go. And, you know, it's not easy to go and, and leave country and just it's, it's not fun. You know, it's not sure. fun at all. And when I complained to head of the school, and I saw that he can't protect, and that's the rule of university. She told me, if I were in your position, I will go to another country. And what is funny is, uh, because uh, at this time I was, you can imagine if any student be international and by himself or herself, it's not fun to be in this situation. It's Right, already an outsider, and it takes a long time to even build up enough comfort where where you've landed yeah yeah indeed indeed uh, and I, I remember this time i i, I still passionate about this material and i told him i i just wanna to do some experiment and i wanted to other collaborator uh, i told him why you did that uh, you know if you doubt where my work tell me what you did i need an answer for why you did that and the, i didn't get an answer it was like when you're hitting a wall and i know that was racist. I'm sorry, but and I'm not only case, but I know that's not the right place for me. But it was a challenge. Who will accept me? And the story not end here because that's I tell you how when you give so much power and that's power disparity in academia uh, to someone will abuse it. And sometimes they, they they deal like they are have the infinite power. And I was asking many people at this time. And I was turned down. I was like, you know, when someone is seeking help, and I have this uh, brand since uh, from when I stayed, uh, no one helped me. And I, some people, because a friend was this, this BI, so they turned me down as well. And I found myself like, you know, someone's like blacklisting someone, uh, just. And at this time, I had to publish something. Uh, it was a workshop and uh, in Iris and. Uh, and I, I didn't have enough money, to be honest. I didn't have enough money and and I didn't accept the failure. The most important thing, I moved from Egypt because I have no, you know, when someone leaves the nest and that's my situation, I can't go back again. It's like, it's like, and it's easy. You don't accept the failure. And I, at the same time, I'm in a situation I never expected to be in. And, uh, and I, I decided to go and present this work in the workshop. Okay, I resigned and nothing I can lose at this time. Which workshop was this? It was an Iris, uh, to okay. okay. yeah. And when I went, I uh, he found that I was there, and and he sent me email that you will not present your work. Someone from the workshop told him that one of your students is going to present, and I was resigned at the time. And he sent me an email: you, you will not, not present, present this work. work. I, I tell them you are not here. here. And, and I, I told, told him, him, I'm waiting in the reception, I will present my work. And he told me that you crossed the border, the, the, the line, just he, this is too much. And he asked me, and that's totally the bullying, how, how, how is this happening? And, and feel the bullying. He told me to wait outside the conference. And uh, there was a friend of mine, uh, uh, he supported me at this time, he was waiting from the other side and see what happening. And he started bullying me and he said me, Literally, I'm so much appreciated in the field and no one will accept you. And uh, I told him, I didn't want to leave. You you forced me to leave. And he said, how you dare you, you can present this work. You, this work, um, 
he did in my lab or I told him okay but you doubt it and and that's he told me if you think you come here to find a position you will not find a position and I can't tell you how the eye looks and the aggression is I assume he's psychopath and because that's I'm sorry but that's reality when we have a psychopath in the position it's charming outside but inside the wall there are many students suffering and and I think that's the, the behind that we need to help more students and I told them okay I know you appreciate in the field but um, let me go I, I, what do you want and he told me that uh, he was trying to instill the fear in me you know when when you have this power disparity and someone wanted to instill the fear in you you will not do that I don't know why if you are established uh, BI, why are you afraid of that? Is it about the ego? Is it about that you have different opinion? I don't know, but I think that's something serious in academia we have to consider. Yeah, it's a it's a sacred trust that uh, that PIs are given to have so much um, rather undeserved control over the uh over the the lives of young people and it's something that uh, a lot of them don't take seriously um, none of them are trained to interact with other human beings and especially to mentor them because they get their jobs on the basis of how good of a research researcher they were as a student and as a postdoc um, so i can uh, you know, I, I didn't have your your situation, but I can I've seen it uh, many you know other times. I don't but, but what you've done is is remarkably brave because you you defied this abusive PI and then you started a podcast where you have interviewed 40 other people that are assuredly more famous and powerful than this person and you've learned from them um so how does what was what was the decision to make the first episode like you know what the first episode i think because um i had the opportunity after securing a position and i have quite money to do to buy a mic and travel to conference and that was the first episode with an, at a conference and was with Robert Shepard he's the first one and yeah we were lab mates actually for a year in the Whitesides lab lab yeah yeah indeed and yeah and of course I know the audio quality was not great but yeah that was a start and I, I was like all the question to be honest all the question I wanted to ask I just bought it inside. And I would like also thank you, Professor Fumia Leading, because I think uh, he's really so supportive. He supported me a lot and he pushed me to do this idea. I told them I, I need to do this podcast and I will be a side effectivity for IEEE soft robotics. And he, he really believed in that. So I'm, I'm really grateful for him so much, Fumia Leading. So this is in, in Brussels. No, 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 Fumia Lidi, he's uh, the chair and founder of IEEE Soft Robotics. Okay. So uh, he's not really my supervisor, but he, he's a chair and a co and founder of IEEE Soft Robotics Technical Committee. And, and that's how it started. I, I, I started from this point and, and 
yeah and first start of course i didn't know how to i didn't really think about listener but i was afraid at first time to put yourself out there but yeah and and then uh, i really enjoyed it i i found myself that yeah the podcasting process itself it changed a lot of me and i gained a lot of skills and also how to ask a question of course i'm not perfect in that but i'm still learning but oh it's really the, hard yeah, <laughs> I, I think the motivation is always a question i wanted to ask i want to i bought it in the in the podcast list a question and all the something i do like about how academia is run i ask it all in the podcast and that's simply but again i'm still learning so i'm i'm not assuming that something yeah what is your response rate like when you send an email out to some super famous scientist how often do they say yes it sounds like a lot because a lot of them have said yes yeah that's really i think uh yeah that's really was really uh a wonderful feeling especially for george white sides because i was really wanted to to have this conversation with him so much I don't know why, but he's really fa fascinating to me, and and I really enjoyed when he said yes. I, I, sometimes it takes two months, three months, someone to reply, and yeah, I think I'm so fortunate that uh, most of them just reply. Yeah, I, I'm I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. How about the feedback that you've gotten from people in the community? Uh, what has that been like? I'm so grateful to be honest. Uh, the feedback from the guest itself, I think, sometimes it sends this email in. Uh, yeah, I, it's really a great feeling when someone tells you a compliment about that. Or, of course, I still not have a huge number, I'm still small, so not so many numbers. But yeah, when someone sends me, I believe in what you do, just one or two. I'm, I don't say huge numbers, but it's, it means a lot to me. But of course, sometimes I have to, I have to be honest, I have this imposter syndrome. I don't believe sometimes and I believe in myself, but I, I'm sometimes I'm harsh on myself. I, I need to work. Sometimes I assume I'm, I'm dumb, but I have to. Yeah, I still have this sort of feeling that uh, I don't know, maybe that's something not good. But uh, yeah, it's good to listen. But sometimes I am critique to myself. I, I think I have to learn because I, I really want to learn. There's a lot of things I don't know yet. One thing I remember being a guest on your show was the list of questions and I had notes that you sent me ahead of time and I had notes on each one. But of course, you can never predict what direction the conversation is going to go. So you have to be able to think on your feet as the interviewer and be able to uh, to to guide the discussion and sometimes you skip several <laughs> questions on your list or you have to reformulate them on the fly and i've found that that has been the most difficult part of doing doing this yeah indeed indeed yeah i think uh yeah to, to have a conversation i think that's something is is it is it challenging because to be honest i received some comments that uh, and when I have a feedback, sometimes you focus on the question. So I'm trying now how to be smoother a little bit in the conversation and not because it's stressing that you won't ask this question and this maybe question pops up in the time. It's a skill and it takes time. And sometimes maybe you don't necessarily like where the conversation's going and you want to get back to your list because you know that the audience wants to know about 
you know, your the the uh, the most beautiful equation or scientific principle, and what inspired your uh, your guest to 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 want to do uh, robotics. There are some uh, podcasters. Um, I can think of uh, Tyler Cowen uh, on conversations with Tyler, who's an he's an economist, and his questions are completely disjointed. I mean, there's one question on you know uh, pizza, and then the next question is about some kind you know opinions on John Locke or something. <laughs> so there's sometimes very little coherence, but it works because that's the style, and I think people are interested in the answers. Um, so you mentioned on your website that you are that you do a lot of reading. So what uh, what do you read? Yeah, I, I love reading so much, and I think uh, I have a stories with some, with a book is, is called uh, I think it's a very famous book, The Power of Positive Thinking is is by Norman Vincent Peale. I think it's a very fam- famous book, uh, um, and also there's a book on business for bunk, and and both of them is just uh, really of course there are a lot of other books, but this is uh, maybe the power of positive, positive thinking is resonate to me so much. Uh, of course, the book is about Christianity, so I really like it so much. About uh, and this is one statement resonate with me as well. When you say that uh, positive pattern of thought can it change the fact, and that happened when this BRI uh, forced me to go and. I, I kept trusting that, um, and that's something uh, I think um, maybe sometimes I want to say something to maybe student listening that sometimes things happen, it sounds really bad. And it takes time to figure out that was prepared for you for something good. And, and, and that's at this time the positive pattern of thought can it change the fact? It's very profound when I read that. That means that if you have the right energy and you still believe in that something good is going to happen to you, I think that's very powerful. And uh, I think uh, that leads me to lead about the, how the energy of human being, everything is about energy. You're, uh, if you want something in your life, if you want to, to reach people, it's all about energy. So I think this book really was a life changing for me. It's the power of positive thinking. Yeah, I really like this book. And I give it to my Where? friend, yeah, because every statement I read is something happened, a story, and I become afraid. So I know this sounds stupid, but I give the book to my colleagues uh, just to read it. But, uh, but the book was really, yeah, resonant. Well, I consider that a very strong endorsement to uh, to read it myself. Um, where where do you see the Soft Robotics podcast in the next couple of years? What would you like to achieve? What are your goals? Yeah, I think for me, I think... I wish I can continue, of course, and uh, but I, I believe what I wanted to do is something related to education. So, to be honest, and that's something I want to highlight that how how science is really uh, underworld. Just you have to get publication and you have to pay fees so that you can access that. So I, I have to be honest. I want to have this podcast as a part tiny little bit that student from underdeveloped countries or because we have audiences from region I never imagined uh, I can't find people like from islands and I don't know if they are real people or bots but I found people f- listening frequently and I wish this kind of source available that 
can inspire other students who don't have the access to education so that they can know what is happening in the field. So I hope it, I can take it to another level, like educational tool. But I'm still thinking how we can make education more interactive and through podcasting, because I think YouTube, podcasting, I think that's a new way of education, to be honest. And it's still, it's shame that we still have to be that, um, I can't share this information with you because I still have to publish it. I understand that, I understand the concept that there's there's IPs and there's everything, but I, it's shame that sign that you can know because I have to publish or still under review or I, I, do, I don't believe in that. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I believe. And as a uh, somebody who has an international perspective, you've lived in on two continents in five countries now. Um, that that you have no one, a, no one's doing this. I'm not and you have a perspective that very few other people have. Um, how would you describe the um, uh, the scientific research in your native country of Egypt? I know that um, we have you know many uh, doctors and engineers of Egyptian descent in the United States and in Europe. Um, but you don't see a lot of published research coming out of Egypt at the at the moment. How would how would you describe it? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And first of all, I want to make disclaimer that I think um, it doesn't matter where you're from. The intelligence, if you are an intelligent guy or woman, it doesn't really relate where you come from. So that's first rule. But I think what really makes um, that sad thing about how how the management or how the leadership. Uh, is because you have a great mind assuming that you have a very nice building okay and I don't know how to say this analogy for that uh, but you have a very nice building but there is no right people or maybe have a people and there is no place for them it's like it doesn't make sense if you have a great mind and you don't have funding it doesn't make sense if you have funding and you don't have a great mind it doesn't make any sense it's both of them needed so the same in, in I think in, in maybe developing countries that you don't have enough funding for for science, and that makes people. We have a great mind. I think every place they have a great mind, but you don't facilitate this this kind of uh, how you can facilitate their um, to executing their ideas, deploying their ideas, and most importantly, the politics. Because uh, for me, I, I'm I'm introvert, and people assume introvert in a bad way, but I can explain what's introvert mean because there's misconception about being introvert. But there's a lot of politics, and you force a person to be, for example, to be in the kitchen all the time. You have to be here around four o'clock. But if I go to work, people uh, uh, assume you have to stick to your desk, and that's proof that you're working. But maybe you're at home and you're still working, and that's I think uh, also argument we have. It's it's politics inside Bartman and the overall politics and also the country itself. If the country is just facilitating how how you have enough grants and how you encourage people to do that. So if you don't encourage that and you don't have enough funding, it's stifling, you know? So you don't have this, it's like killing the passion. And that's why many people start to maybe, see if they have uh, ideas, see, it's, it's not the right place. Uh, so I think both of them, you need a great mind and you need the funding and the right politics. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's, uh, it's that, I think that's a simple equation from my perspective, yeah. 
I wonder if you could tell us about your interest in visual art and uh, and drawing. I saw this on your website that uh, one of your pastimes is artwork, particularly uh, dress design and female characters. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I really like drawing so much. I think that's what I was doing when I was three, four. But I think what I can do still doing that is just drawing familiar characters with, with the shape and accessory and hair and dress in a few seconds. And I, I was doing that. Uh, yeah, some people saying that when I had high school that you have to go to art school. And I was saying engineering, no, that doesn't make any sense. Yes, I, I love art so much, but maybe this is something aside I can put aside. But yeah, I'm still drawing. I, I, I love drawing so much. and and painting but particularly I drew female characters and even I remember when I'm doing design for like uh, fashion design sometimes I, I imagine that because I love design so much I imagine how the design of the dress look and I found then fashion design week like similar and I was shocked really but yeah maybe in the future maybe I can if I have the time to do that but I really like uh, drawing female character and especially I'm doing that very fast yeah but I wonder if you think that there's a, a an intellectual connection between art maybe not just visual art but the arts and engineering of course there's a lot of I think in the podcast we have this discussion about yeah I have artists media artists in the podcast and uh, yeah of course I think the biggest inspiration is a design I think uh, yeah, in the art, in the, I think when I do a drawing, uh, for example, when I'm sad, I draw a character and it looks sad. And that's was, how does this happen, you know? How, when I feel happy and I draw the female character, it looks happy. And there's a psychology behind it, by the way. So, uh, so even the designing, how, how you get something out of the blue that you design something in. I think that's also happening in, in robotics of robotics when you design something and design shape. So I think there's correlation between the art and uh, maybe this is not a great answer because I think uh, there's a lot behind that and I hope I can investigate that. But yeah, of course, there's a, a correlation, a strong correlation, of course. Yeah. I wonder if you wouldn't mind if I asked some of the questions you ask your guests to you. <laughs> What was the first robot that you built? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I. to be honest, I never completed a robot by myself. This, uh, that's maybe some guesses say that. But it was all the trial. So to be to call a robot a robot, I think maybe I called in, in, in final year of school, graduate school. Uh, no, in, in undergrad school was my team. Because I really love this team. We are seven guys and... And we had to build our secreted plan and uh, and using uh, inertia navigation system. So I think that was the first maybe robot build with the, my colleague because I really love my colleague this time at an undergrad school. So we went to the workshop at Aviation Club and we have to build from scratch the aircraft. It was RC Cadet 25. This is a huge craft, a small aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, what is the most elegant equation or theory in your field and why? Yeah, to be honest, I don't, I don't have really uh, a favorite equation, but I will tell a story about that uh, related to what happened to me because I I proposed a model for ionic conductive polymer. I never published that. And uh, this equation, I know maybe it's not uh, great, but uh, I developed by, based on proposed modeling. I never published. so. But for me, this equation 
I know maybe it's not right, I don't know. But when I, I presented to the POI, he said, uh, to the POI, he said that, uh, I, I told him this is symbol equation. And he started to mock about saying symbol. And he said, how on earth you say symbol? And that's something I hated. And, and I was looking to Neil deGrasse Tyson and he said that symbol and beautiful and profound. And I take it from Neil deGrasse Tyson. He said about, I think, E equal MC square. So how this equation by Einstein that described what happening. So this is, he said that simple, beautiful and profound equation. And I told him, he said simple, beautiful. I don't know why he said that it's wrong to say about equation symbol. I didn't understand. But uh, yeah, I think that's something uh, from Neil deGrasse Tyson inspired. And in my work, which was not published yet, but uh, and I think will not, never publish because I don't know. But this equation I proposed, although it's very simple, but it gives me correlation between uh, the morphology and the material properties. That's, that's uh, I think, fascinating to me. If it's wrong, I don't know, but uh, at least it keeps me to understand a little bit, yeah. Well, your, your answer was better than my first law of thermodynamics, so <laughs> I appreciate the personal connection to, uh, to your equation. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your activities in uh, women in robotics? women in robotics uh, conference yeah um, i think again i would like to, because there's a lot of people i really i would like to thank them because they believed in me at the time i was turned down and i get rejection and failure uh, there's people give me a hand and i would like to thank elizabeth uh, um, flips uh, she, she she's an assistant professor i think at brown university i still uh, i will have her also on the podcast she's a really amazing woman and I, I came to know her when I was presenting at Women in Robotics and I told her I wanted to do activities and I, I really loved to help. And she, at the time I was, this chaotic time, I was forced to leave. After two months, she offered me to come and organize, co-organize with her. So I think I, I'm so grateful for Elizabeth because she gave me a hand and uh, I was super happy this time because I wanted to do something. At the time I was, just when you go and do work, this volunteer work, it just gave me happiness. I don't know, but I, I'm grateful for her and also Kristen uh, Herring. Uh, both of them, they, yeah, they give me the opportunity to co-organize women in robotics. Yeah, and I'm so grateful for both of them. Yeah. Are do you have any future events uh, planned with women in robotics? Uh, actually, women in robotics. That is a question because uh, in, in, that's I think a trend on over overall conference that. We want to make inclusion, so we have to incorporate women in robotics, LGBTQ+, and underrepresented in one event, which is called inclusion. Because that was a long discussion that we don't want to make women in robotics specifically. So we want to make inclusive uh, uh, event, and that's what, what's happening in RSS, robotic science system, or machine learning community. Uh, that's something even we discussed a couple of days ago. They want to do inclusion and and make it merge it. And I think that's that's right. When you bring differences, different background and different uh, communities, I know it's a challenging. And how you have uh, uh, um, a wise conversation that that suits everyone, it's super challenging. But I think that's important. We don't want to make separate communities. We want to make one blended community. Yeah, that's a fantastic attitude. So what is your uh, what is your what are your thoughts on inclusion and science and the ways that inclusion has impacted science and engineering and perhaps even soft robotics research? I think that's a very good question because I think uh, again 
um, I'm, I'm speaking here about the student who will be the next generation because I really want to do something. We do something for student. Because the issue we have, and, and I have to be honest about that because I know some people don't believe in inclusion and diversity. And they are right because I have to be honest and uh, it sounds sometimes cosmetic image uh, for universities. We are diverse, not sure about that. We are diverse, we have different background, but we are not inclusive. And I would like to thank my colleague because she's so amazing. His name is Victoria Edward. Uh, she was uh, the chair also with me was inclusion. And we asked this question in the meeting all the time. What inclusion means to us? What's the meaning of inclusion? And it was a super challenge because in reality, if we look, let's be realistic. Uh, if you have inclusion and diversity, but inside the lab, um, there are many students can't speak up because you know this power dynamics and etc. So you are diverse, but in reality, you're not inclusive. You're not everyone is included in the session. Not everyone included in designing something. So you would say that uh, that diversity is just the the accounting of this is the number of men, this is the number of women, this is the number of people from yeah. And inclusion is more of an attitude, like a cultural. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to be, we are diverse, but we are not inclusive. Uh, so that's, uh, and I also have an episode that will be, I think, released today or tomorrow about uh, this subject. Uh, I think uh, we were trying with Professor Ryan from University of Washington. And uh, we speak about, we spoke about that, uh, how, how we can find solution for that. Is it, is it why, we, why we don't believe in inclusion and diversity? Why some people, I, n I understand people say that, oh, we just care about technical part. But I'm sorry if you don't, if you don't, if you don't have an either being in inclusive in representation of, of thoughts or be intellectual also inclusive, so that everyone have different ideas, have access to funding and grants. So it's really it's really complicated topic, and I think uh, there there are a lot of dimension. For example, in this episode, we're trying to find solutions. So why professor don't believe some professor don't believe in inclusion and uh, of course, we have diversity, but inclusion. Yeah, there's a saying that they don't know what they don't know. If they've only known one way of doing things that is derived from one particular type of life experience, one type of of uh, of background, then they they don't know what they're missing out on. Yeah, but it's a human nature at the end of the day. Bias is ingrained in human, so it's yeah. But I think maybe regulation or something can help in that, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the most noble callings in uh, in self-reflection and, and one of the powers of education is to use education to force oneself out of the the, the rut of human nature, the, uh, the delta G minimum. Like if, if I didn't care about the, if I didn't take an active, um, approach to uh to these topics then where what would i uh what would i be doing and and i don't think any of us want to be in our you know a low free energy state we want to improve ourselves and to get out of our human nature uh when when possible exactly yeah um let me see is uh, are there are there other podcasts other science podcasts that you never or rarely miss like when they show up in your 
RSS feed, you are super excited and you download it immediately? Yeah, first of all, I have to mention, thanks to you. And that's something I'm not saying flattering. That's, I'm honest, I'm, I'm really candid. So I, I think your podcast is really amazing for many reasons. Uh, in academia, I think, as you are a professor, I think when you speak about mental health issue, uh, in the last episode about being undergrad and how you go to graduate school and selecting the lab and research not everyone, that's what we need because I think most of students go for school, grad school. And for me, uh, I, I don't know what else I can do. If I can figure out what I can do, maybe I, I can go outside the grad school, but I think that's something we need to speak about because many students go blindly. And I think podcast, I think you podcast one of the powerful uh, tools for that as well. And also I love Brian Kering podcast and Eric Weinstein and Luxa Friedman, I think also is, is really interesting. So that's uh, a bunch of podcasts I'm following. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, those are, are also uh, also ones that I've- And Steve I've... Carl, I think, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah but- mm -hmm. um, Is there anything that uh, you wish I had asked you that I did not? Uh, no, I don't think oh. so. I had another another question. What is the the quint what what Egyptian dish should everybody know about? Oh, that's interesting. I, mean, my, I married into a, an Iraqi family, yeah, exactly. and you no know, vine leaves. Of course, I assume eating vine leaves, huh? Yeah, dolma, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's the most delicious. We have in Egypt uh, dolma, <laughs> but it's, I think the Iraqi one is the most delicious one. It's oh, like oh, fantastic. My my mother-in-law would be very happy to hear that. <laughs> but uh, I became vegan, and uh, now I like one year and a half, so I become vegan. So, but in Egypt we have a lot of vegan food. But oh, you're vegan right now? You know, congratulations on making the uh, the green choice. I know it's very, it's actually quite difficult in Northern Europe, I think. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of food available, but there's also a lot of meat per capita. <laughs> exactly, but <laughs> well, I think it's a culture thing because I think uh, in vegan way, you have a lot of alternative and you can have a really delicious food because I love cooking so much. So yeah, I want to, because I, uh, yeah, I think you can have a lot of choices as a vegan. So I hope you can change your mind one day. Oh, that's fascinating. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm vegetarian actually. Uh, so yeah, so I, I do eat, uh, I do eat cheese and and eggs. But um, we've lived in this house since uh, 2013, and we've cooked meat, I think, five times. In the in in the last seven years, and those have all been at our uh, graduate student uh, barbecue once per summer, <laughs> which of course we didn't have this year because of COVID nineteen. Uh, but we make uh, a lot of world cuisine in our house. Uh, I've I've been a vegetarian um, mostly, you know, much of my adult life, but a a de facto vegetarian, um, uh, in part because my my wife has been a vegetarian for several years, and you know I was a little bit before that. But in 2020, I resolved to to do that. So uh, you know, in a more formalized uh, way. So. So what is your favorite dish? I don't know. In... <laughs> um, well, I don't know if. 
you know, my, my, my Indian friends would probably, you know, uh, criticize my Indian food, but I went to India as part of a national nanotechnology infrastructure network. It's NSF, uh, trip in 2008. And, um, I became obsessed with Indian food and, and Indian ingredients. And, uh, when my Indian friends come over to my house, they're shocked at my spice cabinet because I have them all. We get them in bulk from the international grocery stores. <laughs> and a couple weeks ago, I made a Bengali dish called uh, Shukto, which um, has uh, the key ingredients are the the lufa, which is a the 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 ridge gourd, and then a, a bitter gourd, which looks kind of like a like a green dinosaur brain that has these uh, hard seeds in them, but the seeds are edible and actually kind of delicious. <laughs> and and the, uh, the the drumstick beans, the uh, the long sort of fibrous, they look like asparagus, uh, but they have these, uh, you know, very tough fibers that you have to, you know, peel off <laughs> almost individually, and there's a technique to doing it. Uh, but there, there was a, a large amount of ginger and turmeric in it, and uh, a couple of spices that I had never seen before, like nigella seeds that I also had to get from the international market. <laughs> uh, so th I don't know if that's my my favorite dish. It was the most unique thing that I've made in a while because because of all of the ingredients, you know, many of them, the dominant flavors are quite bitter. And, uh, and, and that was, that was fantastic. But we make, um, you know, sabzi and, uh, 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 hummus and baba ganoush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's actually fairly easy to eat as a vegetarian or, or vegan. Uh, on the, uh, you know, what we call the euphemism in the United States is we call it a Mediterranean, you know, cuisine, but is, is, is really, you know, uh, Arabic and Israeli. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, this is a fascinating conversation. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And, and well, for you, it's a great pleasure here again. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to be podcast. It's such an honor. Thanks a lot. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Marwa. Thank you. Take care.